Welcome to Infinitely Rational, where we discuss the real eccentric and complex history of mathematics. Brought to you by Mathematical Expressions. I'm your host, Natalie, the resident math nerd. And I'm Kay, your researcher of weird things. In this episode, we'll answer the following questions. Can predicting the weather make you a fortune? How can you convince your professor to pay you to learn? What do either of these have to do with math? Let's find out. Today, we cover a mathematician so obscure that we aren't really sure where he's born, but yet his book about geometry has had such a profound influence on mathematics from the time of the ancient Greeks to now, Euclid and his elements. Since this mathematician is so different, we're doing things a little differently for this trilogy. Hay is currently in the stacks researching our next mathematician, so to make sure I don't get us too off track and to class up the joint a bit, we're lucky to have our friend and resident philosopher, Dr. Anthony Carreras, to tell us about some of the related philosophy around our very elusive mathematician. Oh, okay, hold on. I am not going <laughs> to class up the joint. I, I mean, I'll try to class up the joint, but anyway, hi, Natalie. Hello. It's good to have you here. We are super pumped. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to class up the joint, but Do I'm it. not- Do it. I have know. every confidence in you. Yeah, okay. Well- all right, so yeah, so we're going to talk about Euclid. So what do we know about Euclid? We actually don't know a whole lot. The sources on this are pretty scarce and uh -huh. very uncertain, <laughs> you know. Uh, so he's such an obscure figure that we're not even totally sure he was a figure. Really? Well, so, so he could have been a guy. There could have been a guy named Euclid. Uh-huh. Who did all this math. Or he could have been the leader of a group that was called Euclid. Some people think that, right? So, so like the Pythagorean Brotherhood. Yeah. Except it would be like Pythagoras. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, but most people think there was actually a guy named Euclid who uh, was, was a mathematician. And, um, but still, like, he's so obscure, he doesn't really have a birthplace associated with his name, although he does sometimes go by Euclid of Alexandria. So, when you say a birthplace associated with his name, you mean maybe, like, Geralt of Rivia, because I love Witcher? <laughs> or, or, like, or like okay, Frodo of the Shire? That's right. Or, um, Braun of the Blackwater? Yes! Right? Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, same, same, same kind of thing. Although, but with those guys, right, we know they were from the Shire and the Blackwater. Or right? Rivia. That, or Rivia. Uh, this guy, Euclid, his association with Alexandria is on much more tenuous uh -huh. ground. But uh, he spent some time around there and um, people say that Euclid of Alexandria to uh, differentiate him from this other Euclid. There was another Euclid so, around So the time. I guess like, did it make the top 10 list of boys' names, you know, when those lists come out every year? There, prop there couldn't have been that many, right? <laughs> it was like Euclid, Plato, and Socrates probably. Those, those are the top Aristophanes, three. Aristophanes. Yeah. Pythagoras. Uh, yeah, yeah I, don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> what was that guy? Thales. Thales, yeah. All of the names. These are so fun. I think, I guess, back in Hypatia's trilogy, we talked about this weird dude that wanted to move near Hypatia and how that was a big deal. And so I guess having a birthplace associated is mm. prob probably a big deal. Yeah. Speaking of Hypatia, there's an interesting connection between Euclid and Hypatia. Tell me. I must know. So Hypatia's father, Theon... Uh -huh commented on a manuscript of the oh elements. Yes, yeah. we did talk yes. about that. I did yes. know that. 
our yeah. listeners are so excited. That's Look at right. this. You yeah. know, Kaya was saying when we were talking about the more research that we've done, she's finding more and more interconnectedness. And it's so true. Everywhere I go, even in my classes now, everything I talk about, I'm like, also this other mathematician. So it's so cool to see all the yeah. interconnectedness. Yeah. But anyway... I'm also upset to learn. So one thing that I always ask Kay every single time that she does research is, what the devil do these people wear? Mm. Well, so before I respond to that, does Kay have a big Twitter following on this podcast? The biggest uh, Twitter uh, following. No, she, she's not on social media anyway. Uh, well, for the record, <laughs> I love Kay and I don't want to upset any of her hardcore fans. So, <laughs> so I hope everyone's cool with uh, my presence here. But yeah, so yeah, we don't, we don't know about um, those. those well, well, uh, Anthony, I need to let you know. Listeners, Anthony is K approved. <laughs> she even made a stamp for it. So, you know, she's got he's got the stamp of approval. That is a relief. Okay. Hooray! Thank you, K. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we, we, we don't you're saying we don't know what he wore. No. Uh history doesn't tell us a whole lot. Because we don't him. even know if he's a person yeah. or an entity. Yeah. We also don't know his feelings on love and marriage. We also don't know if he enjoyed long walks with rivers hailing him. Or if he traveled around visiting his math friends. Like, we have no idea. Yeah, I could speculate about these speculate. things. Speculate. <laughs> Let's go. Well, because there's a little bit we know about his personality. Okay. So, um, he was very much of the spirit of, like, the in, what was going on intellectually uh -huh. around his time, right? So, he had something in common with philosophers, right? This was around the time math and philosophy were really intertwined yes. huh? before it started to really diverge. Very much, very much so. And like philosophers didn't think that the stuff you learned in philosophy had to be useful, you know? That's fair though, yeah. thinking for thinking's sake. And Euclid seems to have thought the same thing. So there's this famous story that you'll, you'll like see anywhere you, you read about Euclid in the scholarship. Oh my God, a famous story. Yeah. Okay, we're gathered around the fire. That's right. I, I'm like ready to listen. Toast some marshmallows. Yes, I'm it's, ready to listen. So You've he's, got the flashlight under your face. He's trying to educate this student, uh -huh. right? And the student's like, when am I ever going to use this, dude? Oh like, my what's God, the every point? student ever. Every Exa student ever. So this is an interesting lesson here, because right, students have been like this since the beginning of time, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do with this stuff? Like, what's, what's useful about this? And, and so, Euclid is a little annoyed and he says, he says to his servant, give this student three pence since he needs to gain something from what he learns <laughs> and then it. we'll get back to business and do what's important, which is the math. <laughs> you know what? I want to do this the next time one of my students asks me, hey, why do I have to know this? And um, I'll be like, give him three pence. Although now that I've said that out loud, I instantly realized that my students would all do that. And I am not rich enough for that. Who is? <laughs> <laughs> Give me money. <laughs> we, should, we should recruit a, a, I don't know, a, a multi-billionaire who could help us with that. Because it might work, right? You know I, mean, what? I don't know. Yeah. Let's, let's get on that. Like, yeah. There's some NSF grant we can probably apply for. <laughs> required, but, required in, the, uh, in the job application. Yes. A billion dollars in the bank. <laughs> So, I have another story for you. Mm, I love that me. story, yeah. but it's a good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try and one up you. So, listeners, you guys can vote on which one you like better. There's a story that Ptolemy the First, who is the successor king to Alexander the Great, he actually asked Euclid, probably the mm. person, mm -hmm. um, if there was an easier way to learn mathematics. Like this is too hard. Oh, is there an easier way? <laughs> 
Euclid responded and said that math was as, as difficult for a monarch as for anyone else. There's no royal road to geometry. Well, so he said that to royalty. Yes. Wow. You see these guys, like they didn't they don't care. I like it's all do about that. the knowledge, man. Like I just can't imagine in, in this day and age coming up and somebody telling me that and and me saying to them, Yeah, figure it out, friend. It's all about the knowledge for these guys. That's why they didn't succeed in politics. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I know another good story here that's of a, of a piece up. with this. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, so, so two for Anthony, one for me. So Anthony has double. Okay, got it. Uh, um, Go. Yeah, it's, I'm, uh, I'm outdoing you in the stories. Yes, yeah. I love it though. Well, you'll, ha you'll have to keep up. So, so back with this theme of like how Euclid doesn't think that the math, it's just the math is, is interesting for its own sake and you want to know it for Which its own is. sake, right? Yeah, of course it is. And so is the philosophy, mm -hmm. right? So there was a, the, the guy who's credited with being the first ancient Greek philosopher, Thales of Miletus, right? Oh my gosh. Um, famous for saying that the most fundamental building block of the universe is uh -huh. H2O, water. You want to understand the universe? You got to understand water, he thought. Anyway. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So... Brilliant dude, like knew all this stuff about math and, uh, you know, metaphysics and everything. And people were like, dude, if you're so smart, why don't you make some money? Like, put your brain to use. Here come the guy again, three pence. Why will you use this in e life? Exactly. And like, so Thales is kind of annoyed by this. He's like, look, I'm living my life. Like, leave me alone. He's living his best life. Living his best <laughs> life. But just to prove a point, uh -huh. he showed how he could use his mind to make some money. So, because of his like expert knowledge of the stars and the weather, he successfully predicted when the next olive crop was going to happen, the next big olive harvest. Oh, because right? Miletus, yeah. I guess, it has to be somewhere near Greece. Right. So, yeah. So he One of major so, exports. So, he correctly, he, he's like, okay, the olive harvest uh -huh. is going to happen at this point. So, he goes and buys up all the olive <laughs> presses in town. Like, just buys them all. And like, everyone's like... What's this guy doing? Amazon right? Prime showed yeah. up with like all these boxes to his right. house. Right, and then yeah, right, and the and the drones just dropped it off yeah. right right on his front door. And when the time came, there really was an uh, an olive harvest, uh -huh. and he made a fortune. Dude, that's amazing. And he was like, "See," and then he went back to doing philosophy. The salt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Like he is the original Salt Bay meme. Yeah, yeah that's I right. I love that. And he just did it to prove a point, right? And then and he so was rich. Then he didn't have to worry about anything for a while, probably. That's right. He could probably do philosophy more comfortably yeah. after that. But Euclid is of him. this. He, Euclid is of this intellectual temperament. Good for Thales of Miletus. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, also Euclid probably studied with Plato. We don't know this for sure, but. Most people speculate that, most scholars speculate that he probably spent some time in the academy. Mm -hmm. uh, Plato's Pl academy? Plato's academy. That's, the OG academy? That's right. The Tell us about it. So, it, well, so like, uh, I like to say philosophers invented the uh -huh. university because this was like the first college, right? Or it was, it was like the first school. Um, th this is sort of an exaggerated claim that only a philosopher would make. But anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. I think what you're thinking yeah. is mathematicians invented university yeah that too because it's it, it is said that the inscription above the the door to this place said let no one ignorant of geometry enter here that's kind of intense i guess they loosened up mm -hmm. some of the admission requirements since then well so the course of study there included 10 to 15 years of geometry man you know i am here for this yeah. i may be biased yeah. but i am here for yeah. this and plato thought that if you wanted to he had some strange views but but he thought that if you wanted to be a successful king mm -hmm. a philosopher king like like a good politician for real you needed to have advanced calculus 
under your belt. You I, need it to be able to do that I can get behind stuff. that. Right. I can get behind that. Right. right. Because the mathematical objects are pure. I can so get They're behind pure, this. pure, unchanging, mental. They're not physical things. And he thought that was the bomb. And that's how you learn about philosophical knowledge. And backing up to what, uh, oh, who was that guy? Thales of Miletus. It was, again, just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Exactly. And Euclid with his three pens. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you wish you could while away the days reading great thinkers and thinking deep thoughts? Are you tired of peasants asking you why you're not rich if you're so smart? Want to get them off your back? Ten years ago, I was a mediocre thinker. I couldn't even do a simple crossword puzzle. Today, I'm a successful recluse and scholar because I discovered the secret of all self-made philosopher kings. Now I've revealed everything in this tell-all video series. Learn how to predict the weather and profit from the next olive harvest in four easy steps. Discover the secret to cure typhoid by doubling the size of Apollo's altar. All this from the comfort of your own home. Over 40 million people have become great thinkers, and if you follow my program, you'll be successful too. Nothing can stop you. I guarantee it. Upon payment, every participant receives a great thinker certificate of completion. Results may vary. So, you know, uh, we talked, I think I mentioned one of the top 10 boys' names or baby names was Aristophanes, mm. along with Euclid and all of them. And so he actually has a math joke in his play, The Birds, about squaring the circle. Mm. And I think that this kind of suggests that in that time, most people in Athens had to kind of have an under, uh, like a basic understanding of what squaring the circle means or else the joke would have fallen flat. Like if you go see Hamilton right now, mm. which by the way is amazing. Did you hear it's coming to TV? I saw that. Oh my it's God, a, it's right? a, it's we will the be in original the cast. Oh, totally. I am so pumped. The original cast. Yes, That's going to yes! be great. That's going to be great. I, you know, one of my yeah. friends just bought me uh, Lynn's book. The, you know, good night, good morning, little pep talks. It's oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. But anyway, back to, see, see already I'm getting us off track. Squaring the circle. Squaring the circle. Mm -hmm. But so at that time, like if you went to go see, you know, the Hamilton of, of uh, Aristophanes' mm -hmm. day, you would have had to have known what squaring the circle meant. Yeah, right? there was a pretty educated populace. Also, squaring the circle was one of the problems that was uh, addressed in the academy. That's fun. And he had his, Plato had his students uh, do that. And also along with uh, doubling the cube. Uh huh. Yeah. So they were doing all that stuff. Nice. Yeah. So th I think those are called the impossible problems. There's also like trisecting the angle mm -hmm. you know, while you're doing impossible things to, to other objects, I guess. But I actually have. So you, you leveled up with two stories. Here's going to be my story. And listeners, I think this is going to be your, your favorite one. But I could be biased. Mm -hmm. I don't know who can say. Now, actually, we do have ways to solve these problems, I guess. But, you know, anyway, I digress. Here it is, the story. So in 430 BC, so a while ago, Athens was struck by a plague of typhoid. Ouch. I know, the original typhoid Mary or typhoid Euclid, as the case may be. I don't know. But anyway, so they went to the oracle and the oracle tells them, okay, guys, it's fine. I got you, fam. Just like Apollo's altar, mm. he says, if you will double the size of it, you guys will be saved. And so Apollo's altar uh -huh. was cube-shaped. The Delphic Oracle. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's cube-shaped, okay? So, so everybody, they were like, cool, all we have to do is make this cube double the size. No problem. So easy. Cure for typhoid. Hooray <laughs> for us. Okay. Now, they go and they double the size of the cube. But uh -huh. what ends up happening, spoiler alert, <laughs> well, actually, I'm about to tell you, it's not a spoiler. I'm the worst spoiler ever. But what they did, right, was even though they doubled the size, what ended up happening was they increased the volume of the cube by two cubes oh. or eight. 
And Apollo, he was so mad that he made the pestilence worse. Think about those Greek gods. They got angry. Right? Like they, they were like, make double the size of my altar. Okay, Apollo, we're doing our best. You made a mistake. Die, mortal. Like yeah. legit how that happened. You know, Socrates thought that he heard the voice of Apollo in his head. <laughs> it told him he had to do philosophy in Athens and uh, annoy people a lot. <laughs> so, uh, like, I don't know if you've caught up on The Good Place yet. I'm working on it. Okay, I'm so, so it. hurry up. Yeah. Because I'm going to spoil something okay. for you. <laughs> so, Chidi is, uh, he's the philosopher on The Good Place. If you guys haven't seen it, you should go watch it. But anyway, so Chidi makes it to The Good Place, spoiler, and uh, he asks about some of these philosophers. Mm. So it turns out uh, Plato and Aristotle mm -hmm. actually were not sent to the good place because they defended slavery. Socrates, <sighs> though. That seems fair. <laughs> Socrates was sent to the bad place because he's just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of fair, too. Although, I, I don't know. I bet a lot of fans of Socrates are kind of upset with that development. <laughs> but do you want to know who made it to the good place? Sure. Hypatia. Uh, well, look, given how she died, mm -hmm. I, I, I think she kind of earned it. <laughs> a little bit. And she suggests that we call her Patty. So <laughs> you have I that to it. look forward right, to. Well, I got, yeah, I got to catch up on the good place. But the moral yeah. of my story, I believe, is that math saves lives. So you heard it here, folks. Yeah, math saves lives and uh, philosophy saves lives too, somehow. I don't well, know. 75% no, of the sends people to the, to the underworld. bad place, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you have to get murdered violently <laughs> to get sent to the good place. No, yeah, no, that's right. No, that is such an inappropriate joke I just made. Our listeners are going to miss Kay so much because of me. Uh, philosophy <laughs> makes you prone to all these kinds of rationalizations that could make them think something that would send them to hell, I guess, right? <laughs> Not a good thing. Slavery uh, yeah. is good, according to those folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not not a not a uh, point of um, not a point of positivity in ancient <laughs> Greek philosophy. Uh, another interesting tidbit about Euclid: he appears in a famous painting by the Italian Renaissance painter Raphael. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, called School of Athens. He is depicted sort of at the bottom of it, doing some math stuff, doing uh, doing. Uh, he's got the straight edge and the compass, and he's doing some geometry. And you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but actually Euclid's geometry says that you need, it, it's formed with figures that you can make with two compasses, which are the things that make circles mm. and a straight edge. And so you think about circles, triangles, all these things. So that's really interesting. Yep. And, and another, that was also said to have been, uh, you know, they, they use the straight edge and the compass at, at the academy and Plato is also depicted in the School of Athens, in this painting, he uh -huh. and Aristotle are actually right in the center of it, and Plato's pointing up like this because he's like pointing to the sky because he thinks that uh, knowledge comes from the heavens, or the, the 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 forms are up there, and Aristotle's got his hand down to the earth, saying like, "No, man, knowledge uh, is gotten from experience down here in real life." Right, and um, you know, Plato Plato's pointing up, and Aristotle's like, "Okay, boomer, no, it's like right here, it's here, stop, get your head out of the clouds." That's you know? so interesting. Like you, you would hope or think that the two of them would work together to, like, that you could take from both and create something better. Yeah, well, they had a lot of respect for each other. Aristotle was his, uh, you know, student of Plato's, um, but they had very different views about things. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. 
You know what? So the School of Athens is really interesting. So my husband and I have been to Italy a couple of times and we love it. It's one of our, well, I mean, everywhere we go, I guess, has been one of our favorite countries Mm. to visit. So, but Italy, we love, the food's great, but also the art. And one of the things that I learned a lot about the last time I was there was I decided I want to learn a bit more about Michelangelo. And he and Raffaello actually had this um, huge just disagreement. They did not like each other at all. Rivals. Rivals, right. And so, Raphael, he painted in the School of Athens, in the lower, I think it's in the lower left, uh, he painted, I can't remember who it's supposed to be. Did he paint his rival? Yes, and it's no. this like surly, just like angry that. looking fellow. It just, you're like, <laughs> who is this ridiculous human that's dirtying up the thing? He's so angry. Uh-huh. It's hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just, I appreciate that because... As a mathematician, I'm never going to be able to write a proof that burns someone. Yeah. But like uh-huh. as an artist, you can roll up and be like, I'm going to paint you in the most ridiculous way. Burn. The, these, kind, <laughs> these kinds of professional disputes have always been happening, right? These yeah, of- we talked about it in Fermat, which, you know, was, was pretty hysterical. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. him and Descartes. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's an, there's another guy who uh, had a lot of uh, fun <laughs> things to say about his rivals. Right? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> So as for the primary source material mm-hmm. that we have from Euclid, there's uh, some good news and bad news on this. Good news. I don't news. know which I want. Okay, we're starting with good. I'm ready. Hit me. Some of his work did survive. Hooray! Okay. Yeah. As you said, oh my God, Theon of Greyjoy yeah. Yeah, of Alexandria. <laughs> right. Yeah. When he was copying a manuscript, he made an edit. Right. So we definitely have that. Yeah. Not so good news. We only have like five of his works more than half of what he what he wrote is lost for example he had a book called surface loci and uh sudaria a book that's about a fun word sudaria, sudaria. yeah it comes like from the word pseudo it's about love uh, it it's about fallacies right and uh three books on porisms honestly it's not even clear what any of these had in them except for i guess sudaria uh true yeah and we just know because like you said other people wrote about them and also, if you'll recall from Fermat, like this became a pastime for people recreating works of antiquities that had been lost to time or what have you. Yeah, also, you know, they didn't have, uh, relatedly, they didn't have copy machines, right? True. So, so how, are you, how are you going to copy? Printing you, press. You know, you, didn't people, even have the printing press. You had to, li- right. I mean, you had to literally copy this stuff by hand. Could no, you imagine? No carbon <laughs> paper in triplicate as you wrote. Oh, man. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we've we've actually even lost some of Euclid's work in the surviving translations because things were left out, um, and like it, it's hard to know why exactly things were left out. Probably in like in the in the course of copying these manuscripts, people just begin to think something like, "Well, all right, the, everybody can see the math is obvious here, oh right?" So I don't gosh. need to, I don't need to I don't need to put that in this next Dude, copy. Right? This is <laughs> it's easily seen. Ma- yes, right? this yeah. is every math book ever. Mm-hmm. It's funny because you start with the lower level math books and they show every single step. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's like we are going to add two to both sides and we put it in different colors and it's really intense so that you can see perfectly. And then you get to a certain level and it's like you know, even the calculus books, they'll jump from like step one to step five. And it was like, it can be easily seen. No, friend, it can't. Like, show me though. I'm, I can't see well. I need my glasses. I mean, it can never be easily seen, these people. <laughs> I guess that's right. I mean, some people just say, just think that, well, if it's intuitive to me, surely everybody else could see it, right? You know, you know I was just talking to some yeah. English folks earlier today, and we were talking about just the communication mm-hmm. between even like engineers and things like that. And how it's sometimes challenging to communicate uh, your thought process 
as a mathematician, as an engineer, even yeah. to other people because they aren't living in your head, which by the way, could people just live in my head and read my mind? That would be amazing. <laughs> so before we get to talking about Euclid's elements, I want to take a second to talk about geometry. Okay. Geometry. Geometry. So, tell us about geometry. So the Egyptians actually started using geometry for something that is really common today. Hmm. You want to uh, take a guess uh, what it is? Um, well, I, I was going to say pyramids, but that's not common today. Um, uh, <laughs> what? You didn't visit like the local pyramid? <laughs> um, something common today. Mm -hmm. Cutting the lawn. No. Yes. Yeah. No. Taxes. Taxes? Taxes. Hmm. So, so, so what does geometry have to do with taxes? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. That should have been one of our questions. <laughs> So at the time of the Egyptians, what they used math and specifically uh, geometry for was very practical things, right? right? We are in a time before the philosopher kings yep. where we weren't worried about knowledge for knowledge's sake. And so they needed to think about, you know, you got to pay Pharaoh because, you know, tax man cometh. And that makes so, sense. Yeah. And so they, dis they found out all these ways without using any formulas to actually calculate the area of a square, the area of a circle. And they actually came up with a calculation that was really close to pi, 3.16. Oh, neat. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so they were using it for these practical reasons, mm -hmm. right? Because math was just a means to an end for them, right? Right, right. Yeah. So then Euclid comes along and like, because he's not as fixated on the practical problems, right? He's more, he's more interested in what like universal truths mm -hmm. could be known about math. That's what's like different about what he's doing, right? He's trying to show that these mathematical truths hold all the time, right? That he's, try he's trying to prove it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And one of the things I find particularly interesting about just the time of the Egyptians in general is as, I, as we were go parsing through the sources and reading all of mm -hmm. this, the way that they even wrote math was so different from Euclid really talks about a turning point because he talks about general, more general procedures, things like that. Whereas they talked about how do you calculate the area of this one particular mm. thing? Or right, how do just you do this? one particular right. thing. And the other thing is, uh, with respect to the pyramids, if you think about what the shape of the pyramid is, it is a square base, and the all four sides, you know, meet at the top. They how, look like triangles. Right. Yeah. And how they did this without using geometry, because they had to do it to where they all met at a single point. It converges. Otherwise, you've got four random spikes right. sticking in. How so, so how did the so, so, so how did the pyramids get built? <laughs> I don't know. Like aliens? Yeah. I didn't do the research on that. We'll have to we'll have to pull K in for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but all of this was cool because geometry without any formal definitions. And so the basis for geometry was there. And actually, Pythagoras, you know, he he studied under Thales mm. of Miletus, yes. who recommended he go visit the Egyptians, Babylonians, and saw all these things. And he was actually able to take advantage of some of that. For example, we know we have the Pythagorean theorem. Mm -hmm. Dude, Babylonians and Egyptians were doing this long before Pythagoras actually came and said, oh, here, I Pythagorean yeah. theorem. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff was already uh, developed, right? Or it was mm -hmm. being developed and Euclid just kind of put it all together. Right. right? And yeah. we'll talk about that next time. All right. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Infinitely Irrational. For more fun, the research and math behind this episode, visit us on the web at www.infinitelyirrational.com. This episode was edited by Mathematical Expressions. This episode was written and narrated by Mathematical Expressions and Kay. Research for this episode was compiled by Kay. See you next time! <laughs>